psychology of darshana mala cosmic projection applied psychology in the bhagavad gita vyasa gives a symptomatic description of a similar state of arjuna as follows my limbs fail and my mouth dries up my body trembles and my hair stands on end the bow slips from my hand and my skin feels as if burning all over and i am unable to stand and my mind is whirling round as it were chapter 1 verse 29 and 30 gandiva samsrite hastatvachaiva paridhayate gandiva was the name of his bow gandiva samsrite hastat from my hand it is slipping twak twak is the skin paridhayate it is as if it is burning in all the upanishads wisdom and realization of the self are characterized as the attaining of the state of fearlessness abhayam vai brahma freeing oneself from fear is given minute attention in the third section of the brahadaranyaka upanishad the principles that illuminate indha and animate viraj come together in each individuated person this coming together is described as similar to the synchronization of the light that comes from the right eye indha and the light from the left eye viraj the gross body in which these powers manifest is maintained by the essence of nourishment processed and evenly administered by prana the union of indha and viraj is in the heart from where a network of minute conductors of energy called hita runs in all directions this is similar to a nerve which is as fine as a hair split into a thousand parts the organism conducts itself by reacting to the solar energy electromagnetic field entropy the word dynamics of interpersonal communication and by maintaining its core in the spirit of the self the self extends in all directions and is mediated upon as neti neti not this not this the individuated self moves ambivalently between the inner light antarjyoti and applied reason vijnana in conjunction with buddhi it operates overtly in the mind which is considered to be a reflection of the self in the physical counterpart of the embodied self when this subtle network of the conductors of energy is affected by the white blue brown green and red serums of the nerves it becomes afflicted with the past conditionings of the individual and the mind is drawn to the non-self which is characterized by desire and the urge to engage in activities that gratify desire or are of a compulsive nature as a result of this the individual is again and again exposed to self delusions which result in fear and anxiety the individuated consciousness alternates between the empirical limit and the sublimity of infinity at the empirical level the physical reality draws it to identify with the properties of several sensory data and with the compulsions to act 
so as to ease the system from the pressure of necessities. Both the wakeful experience and the dream experience rest on the modifications of the mind brought about by its past iniquities, as is evidenced by their painful nature. Thus fear is a deep-seated ignorance or conditioning, and it can be rectified only by reclaiming the self from the vicissitudes of ignorance. The Upanishadic theory of the Hita that operates as a liaison between the self and the serum of the nerves has some resemblance to the Hemic theory of knowledge of which William S. McCulloch gives a short account in a historical introduction to the postulational foundation of experimental epistemology. Early Greeks postulated entities called mixtures. One of these is what Aristotle called conate pneuma, an airy blood postulated by the Hippocratic school. Atomists and Greek empiricists also had their versions of mixtures. Of these, the latter's theory of the perfect mixture is considered as the natural cause of conception, formation and the growth of progeny. According to McCulloch, this is the precursor to the shuffling of genes, first postulated by Mendel to explain the frequency of occurrence of traits in phenotypes. In the mixture postulated to explain knowledge, Aristotle treats the knower and the known in equal counterparts as when a hand grasps an object and it conforms to the object. Quote, the fulls of the one filling the hollows of the other, end quote. Just as the signet impresses the seal, onto the wax. McCulloch says, quote, in the form and proportions determined by the impression, the elements, earth, air, fire and water, of the known mix with those of the knower, this mixture forms in the blood of the knower. The veins anastomizing mix the blood from various parts of the knower, and the final mixture takes place in the heart. Such was the cardiocentric theory of knowledge. The nerves were only arranged to govern the muscles and the brain a phlegm to cool the blood." End quote. The Hitha theory of the Upanishads finds other affinities in the nervous theory of knowledge postulated by Alcimion around 450 BC, who based everything human on pairs of opposites, and much later in the theory of René Descartes, who postulated that, quote, one, nerves were composed of parallel tubes, too fine to be seen individually by him, even under a magnifying glass. Two, each tube was filled with liquid, in which pulses of hydraulic pressure went from the brain and spinal marrow to muscles causing them to contract. And three, each tube had a fine thread in it, which, as the muscle contracted, signaled back to the central nervous system to close down the valve." End of quote. So Descartes had gone to a garden where there were a lot of mechanical uh, statues, and they all had animation, they used to move.
And the moving was done by hydraulic pressure. There was water and the water used to be pumped and then that used to make the hands move. So he thought that the human body also is like that. So that like hydraulic pipes, the nerves were carrying liquid and the brain was exerting the pressure which was causing our hands to move. The complete picture of the Hita theory is approximated a bit better by adding to the above postulates the current theory of the electrical excitation and inhibition of nerves, which enables one to understand the interaction of impulses afferent along separate fibers on their way to a terminal cell or cells. To raise consciousness to the absolute, arrived at through neti neti from the ambivalent world of the hita that is intertwined with the physical world of the serums which are almost identical with the present-day theory of chromosomes and the nucleotides of memory bits of at least three million years of biologic history, one should learn the art of transcendental reduction. Fridjof Capra writes in the Tao of Physics of such possible transcendence, even in physics, by going to a higher dimension, the fourth dimensional space-time. He says, Quote, space and time themselves are two concepts which had seemed entirely different but have been unified in relativistic physics. This fundamental unity is the basis of the unification of the opposite concepts mentioned above. Like the unity of opposites experienced by the mystics, it takes place on a higher plane, that is, in a higher dimension. And like that experienced by the mystic, it is a dynamic unity because the relativistic space-time reality is an intrinsically dynamic reality where objects are also processes and all forms are dynamic patterns." End quote. The James Lange theory of emotion is unceremoniously dismissed by Walter Cannon. He gave no attention to the unconscious origin of the arousal of the visceral response. Albert X in Psychosomatic Medicine speaks of norepinephrine and the increases in blood rate and blood pressure associated with anger and fear, accompanied by a visceral reaction of an increased breathing rate known to be produced by epiphrine. It is now recognized that norepinephrine and epinephrine are the distinguishing chemical components of anger and fear, respectively. Compared to the James Lange theory, the Cannon-Bard theory and the Lashie's view of the function of the thalamus, which according to him controls the various patterns of emotional expression, are not at all conclusive. While modern scientists play with their gadgets and wrangle over the issue, we can work on transcending our basic fear by meditating on our inner light, Antarjyoti. In the Bhagavad Gita, we are given a formula to work with. Quote, slowly, slowly, activity should be brought to a standstill by reason steadily applied, establishing the mind reflexively in the self without thinking of anything whatsoever. Whatever causes the changeful, unsteady mind to go out, again and again, from each such, restraining it again and again, it should ever be led to the side of the self. 
Such a yogi, verily of calm mind, of pacified passion, who has become the Absolute and free from all dross, comes to supreme happiness. That is chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. The immediacy of our life shades off into contemporary convictions and conventions. The sanctions of society are part of an historical evolution. History itself is a confection of the thoughts, beliefs and actions of a number of people over the centuries, which are expressed in literature, art, music and monuments. Beneath the overt growth of history lies buried humanity's perennial dream, which we sometimes recognize as myth. Jaspers calls this the origin cipher, the primal language of transcendence. According to Jung, myth is a fact of life, though the world picture it produces is not consistent with our rational and objective view of things. He says, quote, the instinctive archaic basis of the mind is a matter of plain objective fact, and it is no more dependent upon individual experience or personal choice than is the inherited structure and functioning of the brain or any other organ, just as the body has its evolutionary history and shows clear traces of the various evolutionary stages, so too does the psyche." End of quote. Narayanaguru refers to this archaic basis when he compares the cosmos to the unfoldment of a seed into a huge and ever-spreading banyan tree. He equates that seed with Brahma the creator, Vishnu the nourisher, and Shiva the destroyer. Besides all these mythical figures, he also refers to the Absolute, the All. The myth of creation is as old as man. The Rig Veda, the oldest known literature of the world, describes it as follows. Quote, what was the wood? What was the tree? From which heaven and earth were hewn? Let the sages inquire within their minds. 10.81.4 so that is Mandala 10, Sukta 81, verse number 4. The Vishwakarman, the all-creator, who made the world from the unknown tree, did so as follows. Sacrificing as a wise sacrificer, our father entered into all these beings, striving for blessings through prayer. Hiding his origin, he went into the lower world. Yet, what and who has served him as a resting place and a support? The Rig Veda proceeds to answer these questions. Purusha, man, anthropos, and the primal being who encompassed the earth on all sides and ruled over the region of the heart. 1090. Jung reads into this myth his archetypal concept of the mother principle. He says, quotation, As the all-encompassing world soul, Purusha has a material character for he represents the original dawn state of the psyche. He is the encompasser and the encompassed, mother and unborn child, an undifferentiated unconscious state of primal being. As such, a condition must be terminated, and as it is, at the same time, an object of regressive longing, it must be sacrificed in order that discriminated entities, that is, conscious contents, may come into being. Jasper sees the formation of three tiers of language originating from what he calls the original cipher. One, the primal language of transcendence has in it 
the embodiment of these ciphers in myths and philosophies. Two, metaphysical reality realized in thought and symbols forms a second original language. And three, the connection of the previous two languages takes place in the union of transcendence and immanence as well as existence and reason, which enlightens and makes intelligible the message transmitted." End of quote. What Jaspers attempted to do was what Jung referred to as turning toward the primal myth with a regressive longing to return to it. According to Jaspers, the task of philosophy is to carry the original cipher, to lead us back to the immediate language of being. The attitude that Narayana Guru recommends is neither regression to the primal cause nor progression towards the finitude of the individual existence that ultimately lapses into the void of death, but to cancel the para, the Absolute One, with Sarva Eva Saha, all that are, or as Kant conceived it, the numerous intelligible egos. In this darshana, both birth and death are placed within the mythical reality of a cosmic dream, a grand magic, a superb psychic feat, and the ontologic verity of a cycle that emerges from a seed to re-emerge once again into a seed. So see, he has interpreted it in a very modern sense. That is the dream, sankalpa, mythical reality of a cosmic dream. And then the magician, grand magic, superb psychic feat, that is the yogi. And the ontologic verity of a cycle, the dhana devaitovata the tree, seed into the tree. The mere knowledge that there is a myth under our feet or that we are confronted with ciphers that cannot be deciphered does not help anyone. Jaspers recognizes attempts to interpret myths or ciphers when he considers art as a meditation on the reading of ciphers in nature, in history and in man, provided that the meditation occurs at the intuitive, not the speculative level. In the matter of turning to the myth for light, resigning ourselves to intuition can lead us to fanciful imaginings and beliefs. This is dangerous. For this reason, in Plato's dialogue, Fro, Socrates categorically denies his belief in the myth when it is taken literally. The appeal that Socrates makes to reason is fully upheld by the rishis of the Upanishads. The whole of the Darshanamala is an attempt to clearly steer our way through the fog of all three languages that Jasper spoke of, so that we can obtain a transparency of vision which will put us in touch with the primeval language of transcendence, the metaphysical reality realized in thought and symbols, and the language of reason that reveals in apodictic terms the meaning of existence.